Hi, I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Joining us next to discuss the COVID pandemic, we have Rick Maida, healthcare law professor at Georgetown University. Maida is also an entrepreneur, pharmacist, and former candidate for the United States Senate in New Jersey. And we are happy to have him on to discuss. Rick Mehta, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, Rick, we have the COVID lab leak theory here appearing to have been validated, at least the possibility that it was leaked from uh, the laboratory in Wuhan. What do you make of this seemingly sudden uh, turnaround? Yeah, well, I'm glad that the federal agencies are finally recognizes, recognizing what Americans, the global community, have known for a long time. Uh, really, the true question here is, was it leaked accidentally or was it leaked on purpose? So, Rick, why do you think this idea initially was suppressed and how did the media's initial dismissal of the lab leak theory affect the public's perception of the uh, pandemic in general? Well, there was a lot of effort by the Chinese Communist Party to push sort of this misinformation, disinformation out to the public uh, for fear of uh, retaliation and retribution against China, its tourism and its economy. And this isn't new. We've seen this even back 10 years ago when we had H1N1, bird flu, uh, SARS and other viruses coming out of China. Uh, where there was this push to downplay and and mute the involvement of the Chinese government uh, with these viruses or from the fact that they stemmed from China because it impacted their tourism. WHO has been very critical about labeling anything from Chinese origin. Uh, and so, you know, it's been this push by the Chinese government to make sure to protect their economy first uh, and not have any ties back to China uh, if that truly was the orig origin. Now, remember, when covid first started, uh, there was this push to say, well, if you thought that it originated from China, uh, then you're a conspiracy theorist. And if you t say that it's uh, a Wuhan virus or something related to China, then you're a racist. Uh, and so now we know that that's completely untangling. Rick, you bring up a lot of uh, great points. You just mentioned the uh, WHO, uh, the, uh, the WHO. Um, with regard to the accord that was uh, being negotiated yesterday, will continue to be negotiated, that essentially gives um, potentially the authority to determine future pandemics in our country and what measures should be taken. Um, how concerning is this over you know, future policy regarding pandemics in the United States? Yeah, well, we can't take this lightly, right? There is a treaty called the International Health Regulations that countries that are members of the WHO have signed up for. Now, that's all good and well when you're sharing of information. Uh, and we know that China over the last years has been very reluctant uh, to the point of being detrimental with sharing information to the global community on transmission of viruses. And we know viruses know no boundaries and they cross over. So of course, there's a level of, of interplay that countries need to work together and participate when you truly have a pandemic the size of COVID. That being said, there, this cannot be taken lightly. Every country needs to protect their sovereignty. They cannot just give an unelected body, an international governmental organization that has no accountability to the people uh, and ceding that kind of authority that can then get into the lives of, of Americans in terms of surveillance, monitoring, tracking, mandatory vaccinations. Every single piece of that treaty needs to be looked upon. And before it's ratified in Congress, 
Uh, I think every member of Congress should read the international health regulations and make sure they know what they're signing up for before they cede any authority to, authority to the WHO uh, in the name of pandemic surveillance. Rick, lastly, um, before you mentioned how uh, so many people were labeled as conspiracy theorists and, and all different other labels when they, you know, raised the idea of this lab leak theory. Uh, do you think this type of thing, uh, now recognizing it and an about face here, will give the American people pause over other things or, you know, popular opinion or mainstream media has told them to be true? Um, and has this ultimately eroded the public's trust? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the worst things that have that's come out of the public health policy um, is the fact that dissenting opinions uh, has stifled uh, the discourse and discussion that the scientific community normally undertakes when there's a novel scientific matter before them. Uh, and this has eroded the integrity of public trust. I mean, you, you can just look at it objectively. The utilization rates of the vaccine boosters is very low uh, because people are not no longer trusting the government government's uh, push on, on many of these policies. And so until we can start to create transparency, uh, we're going to have a hard time rebuilding that integrity we need in our public health systems, uh, which is too bad because some of these agencies should have been the main advisory agencies uh, for the American public. And the Americans should have, with all the taxpayer money that we, we send to the government, should have a trust in their public health systems. Uh, transparency and accountability is the only way forward now in terms of rebuilding our integrity in our public health systems. Rick Mehta, as always, really appreciate your perspective. It's my pleasure, thank you. The World Health Organization has come under scrutiny for the way it shielded the Chinese Communist Party from criticism during the early stages of the pandemic. Now the WHO could be posturing to be a major voice in the United States for how future pandemics will be handled. Our next guest is David Bell, former medical officer at the WHO and now a senior scholar at the Brownstone Institute. David Bell, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. David, uh, the recent announcement by the Department of Energy actually giving validity to the COVID lab leak theory seems to have been overshadowing another pandemic related story. Uh, the WHO is seeking power to override uh, the US's response to future pandemics. I guess, is this true and what should we know about it? Yeah, it's true that this is happening. Um, whether the WHO is seeking that or whether WHO is being used as a tool by other interests is an interesting question. But the, they are putting forward two proposals, one to be voted on in May at the General Assembly, the World Health Assembly, and one next year. And they both complement each other. The first one, which is uh, the strongest, is amendments to the existing international health regulations. And essentially, they broaden the idea of uh, what is a health emergency to, uh, at the, with the current wording, anything that could be potentially an emergency. So any variant of a virus or even beyond a virus to anything that the Director General of WHO thinks could harm people across borders. It expands his powers to act independently and it changes the recommendations from uh, essentially recommendations to a binding um, or order in effect for countries to comply. 
So, and this in, so the current international health regulations include things like incarceration of people for quarantine, closure of borders, um, requirement for injections, etc. So all the things that we've seen in COVID, um, but potentially more extreme. And it, it puts the power to order these in the hands of an individual in Geneva, in an organisation that is heavily funded by private and corporate interests now. The, the, the second um, instrument, as they call it, that they go forward with is a treaty. This will be voted on at the World Health Assembly probably next year. And it essentially cements these, the international health regulation changes in place. So it, it funds a bureaucracy, it, a large a new organisation, a governing board, which will presumably be under WHO requires countries to give a certain percentage of their health budgets to emergencies and sets up a supply network for the WHO. So what they're doing is um, putting together a very large bureaucracy and support for it that will surveil constantly in all countries for potential threats. And then the same bureaucracy will determine that they are a threat, respond to it with involvement of both public and private supporters. And, and that we, so if essentially they're taking the lockdowns of COVID, et cetera, and they're putting them in the hands of an individual and a bureaucracy whose sole function is to find threats and institute this. So we're putting a mechanism in place that it will be self-perpetuating and increasing. Its sole role is to respond to, to find and respond to emergencies and institute the the poverty um, increasing measures, the wealth concentration measures, et cetera, that we've seen over the last three years. David, I mean, you worked uh, at the WHO for, for a period of time. You're a physician, a scientist. Um, how tarnished do you think the uh, WHO's credibility is after the initial stages of the pandemic and essentially defending yeah. the Chinese Communist Party? Yeah, so, so yeah, the, I think they're responding to outside interests. Over the last 20 years, there's been increasing corporate influence. The funding is very direct. The money is given by private individuals or corporations and, and also certain countries to act in certain ways and carry out certain programs. So the WHO has become a tool of other interests um, who are interested not in what the WHO used to be interested in, which was decentralization of power and um, increasing community um, power over their own health, etc. It, it's gone on this path of centralization, essentially of health fascism, where centralized global entities decide on what responses will be made at a global level to health. And these responses that we've seen are very, they're very based around the commodities that these sponsors of WHO produce or make money from. So. Um, I, I think that the problem is not WHO, it's the whole um, movement of um, conflict of interest and corporatization of international public health, which WHO is a part of. David Bell, really appreciate you joining us. Thanks. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.